This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Let's be with you. Friends, today for this fifth Sunday of Lent, I'd like to focus on the second reading, taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians. From time to time, I think it's good to focus on St. Paul, who obviously is such an important figure in our tradition. This letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote around the year 60. This community at Philippi is one that he founded. Scholars guess around the year 49 or the year 50 with Silas. He came to this town, named, by the way, for Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. By Paul's time, it was a very Romanized city. Here's what I find fascinating. Philippi is the first Christian community founded on the European mainland. All the previous work was done in the Holy Land, in Syria, in Asia Minor. But now Paul comes to the European mainland and founds this church. That's why in some ways all of European Christianity, and then by extension the Christianity all over the world, are descended from this little community at Philippi. Paul writes this letter from prison. We're not quite sure where he was. He was imprisoned a lot in the course of his ministry. He might have been in Ephesus, perhaps even in Rome, but he writes from prison. He clearly loved this Christian community at Philippi. You can see in the course of the letter, it's very heartfelt. Maybe some of the power and passion comes from the fact that he wrote it from prison. I'd encourage you, by the way, this week, sit down and read Paul to the Philippians. You can read it easily in one sitting. One of the great texts of the New Testament tradition. The passage for Mass today is taken from the center, the heart of the letter, chapter 3. In some ways, here's where the whole argument of the letter turns. What Paul argues, what Paul lays out, is of great importance for those people 2,000 years ago, and I would say of great importance for Christians of all ages, including our own. He begins with a little autobiography. Listen. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew parentage, in observance of the law, a Pharisee, in zeal I persecuted the church, in righteousness based on the law, I was blameless. Paul's telling a bit of his life story prior to his becoming a Christian. And what he's doing here, he is laying out a very impressive resume. Very impressive account of his accomplishments, of his status, of his blood. Listen again. Circumcised on the eighth day of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew parentage. He's writing to a Jewish audience, convincing them, I am a Jew. 
I'm a real Jew with roots in the ancient tradition. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I belong to the covenant. I'm reminded here very much of Henry Adams, the American writer. His great book, his autobiography, is called The Education of Henry Adams. The book opens with a description of his baptism. He said, I was brought to the Great North Church of Boston. I was surrounded by my family. I was cradled in the arms of my grandfather, John Quincy Adams, former president, son of John Adams, the second president. What he was saying was, I am a blue blood. I come from one of the most distinguished families in America. I am high-born. That's what Paul's saying. He's claiming a high-born inheritance. Listen now as he goes on. In observance of the law, I was a Pharisee. Now mind you, the Pharisees have a bad reputation because of the Gospels, where they are the foils of Jesus. But this letter is written before any of the Gospels. And in the first century, the Pharisees were seen as a very respectable group. They were deeply devoted to the law, to the Torah, and they moved among the common people, encouraging them to be devoted to the Torah. They were seen as extremely respectable, high-level religious people. Paul is saying, I was a Pharisee. In fact, in another letter we find out that Paul was trained by Gamaliel, one of the leading rabbis of the time. He was steeped in the tradition, had a very fine education. We would say something like, I went to Harvard University, studied with the finest people. More to it, in zeal, I persecuted the church. Now we look back from the standpoint of Paul's conversion and we say, wasn't that terrible? But Paul is bragging here as he lays out his resume. I persecuted the church, yes, because I was a devoted Jew who loved the law, loved the Torah, loved the traditions of my people, and I was opposed to this group that was threatening my faith. And I fought them. I was a zealous soldier. Proud of it. It's like someone today saying, I'm a patriot, and I fought for my country against its enemies. More to it, in righteousness, based on the law, I was blameless. The law that structured Israelite life. Paul knew it and followed it. In righteousness, governed by the law, I was blameless. I was even something of a saint. That's what Paul is saying. Highborn, pure-bred Israelite, a Pharisee, well-educated, zealous for my faith, a bit of a saint, a follower of the law. Anyone laying out this resume in Paul's time, he would have been hired. Anyone making these claims, he would have been deeply admired. Listen now, if you wanted to justify yourself, you could barely do, hardly do better than this. Then, as we've come to expect, the Bible pulls the rug out from under us. Listen now what Paul says, having laid out this resume. But whatever gains I had, these I've come to consider a loss because of Christ. More than that, 
I even consider everything as loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You say, what happened? What happened to this man who had it all? He had everything you'd want for a Jew of his time, accomplished in every way. Like someone today saying, I'm from the best neighborhood, the best family. I went to the best schools. I had the leading job. I was admired by everybody. And now I think of all of that as nothing. What happened? What happened to this man? Well, we know this high-level figure was on his way to Damascus in his zeal to persecute the church. And suddenly he was illumined by a light so bright that it blinded him. He heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul encountered the risen Jesus Christ. And in light of that knowledge, everything else in his life seemed, he said, like rubbish, like garbage, like loss. Saul, who became Paul, was elevated to a new life, to a new vision, to a new pitch of existence. And compared to that, everything else, including all these accomplishments, all these great things he did, all these great things he inherited, suddenly it just seemed like nothing. Compared to this life that was opened to him in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What does the resurrection mean? It means the elevation of this life to a pitch and perfection and beauty that we can't even imagine. That's what happened to Paul. You know the image that comes to my mind? Imagine a fish who spent his entire life under the sea and then is hooked by a fisherman and is pulled up out of the water and for one moment he glimpses this world of light and color that he'd never imagined possible. Then he wriggles off the hook and he falls back in the water. It, that world up there I never even knew it existed. And compared to that, this ordinary world seems like nothing to me. That's what happened to Paul. That's what Paul's communicating to these Philippians. This experience of Jesus risen from the dead justified him. Listen now. The justice I possess is that which comes through faith in Christ. It has its origin in God and is based on faith. I wish to know Christ and the power flowing from his resurrection. He's justified. Oh, that famous term. It's caused all kinds of controversy over the centuries. It became the centerpiece of Martin Luther's treatment. Justified. I think Paul means something like this. I was set right. I was brought to peace. I was given the meaning of my life. What's he saying? This justification, this rectification of my life, 
did not come from my resume. It didn't come from my birth, my heritage. It didn't come from anything I've accomplished. None of my works or acts justified me. I was justified, given peace, set right. I knew what my life was about because through grace, the risen Jesus became available to me. Did this make Paul indifferent to this world? No. Paul was extremely active, extremely involved. Did it mean he just lapsed into quietism? So I've seen this new world, I'm just going to give up and sit up on top of a mountain? Well, no, of course not. Listen to him. It's not that I've reached the goal yet or have finished my course, but I'm racing to grasp the prize. Having seen the risen Christ, having been given a whole new sense of the meaning and purpose of his life, now he returns to his work with great passion and great enthusiasm. He knows, he knows he's not justified by any of these worldly things. Listen, that most of us spend most of our time fussing about, bragging about, defending and trying to achieve. Paul knew that all of that was lost compared to Jesus. But now with that keen sense of what his life meant, he moved and he acted and he gave himself with a kind of zealous abandon. Christians, we too are not justified by anything that we accomplish here below. We're not justified by these worldly things. We are justified by Jesus Christ risen from the dead, by life on high. And now with our lives straightened out, we know how to act, how to be, and all of our energies are unleashed. This is Paul's great Lenten message for us today. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.